0: And welcome to our first uh, podcast, the Hope Interrupted podcast. I'm Byron McCauley, co-author of Hope Interrupted, America Lost and Found in Letters. I'm here with my co-author and writing partner, Jennifer Mooney. And we decided to engage you guys uh, in different ways as we talk about our book, Hope Interrupted. And this accompanying podcast is one of those ways. We wanna make sure that that we are able to share uh, your thoughts and our thoughts and amplify some of the conversations that are going on uh, in our country, especially surrounding those hopeful conversations that we'd like to convey through our book, uh, but as well as just our contemporaneous um, issues. So today uh, we have with us Kevin S. Aldridge, and you may recognize Kevin, some of our uh, Cincinnati area area listeners and readers, because Kevin is the opinion and engagement editor of the Cincinnati Inquirer, Cincinnati dot, Cincinnati.com award-winning editor, I will I will say, and we're just so thrilled to have him aboard. Jennifer. We finally launched this thing. How are you doing today from Taos, New Mexico?
1: <laughs> I am in Taos, New Mexico. Byron and Kevin are in Cincinnati. Byron and I wrote Hope Interrupted while we were generally over 1,300 miles apart. So we were spanning the nation in our own little way. Uh, we're thrilled to have Kevin here today. And Kevin, as Byron said, award-winning journalist, but he's been a longtime journalist. He's been in the game for for quite a while and is, is well known everywhere and we're thrilled that he agreed to be first with us today we're going to have people from all over the place both journalists and others and our main theme is stories of hope where we're going to talk with people about how their hope in their lives may have been interrupted be it family work anything that they might do um, Kevin leads a congregation and how he might have been affected during uh, during the pandemic, but we also are talking about hope, so how people pulled out of those times and are moving forward in a hopeful manner as we forge ahead as Americans.
0: Absolutely, and Jennifer, thank you for that. Kevin, um, again, thank you so much for 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 being with us today. We're excited to have you. How are you? I'm I'm
2: doing great, Byron. I'm excited to be here and what an honor it is to, to um be on the show. I mean, you guys could have chosen anybody as your your first guest and, and initial person to launch this great podcast. And you know, I'm humbled, man, and just uh, you know, happy to be here and, and be a part of the conversation and what you guys are doing, which is great.
0: Yeah. Kevin, you know, it feels kind of like old home week because you and I have been side by side for many years. Uh, first uh, first, in another, uh, really another century, right, at the inquirer And then we came back to, to the 21st century and we were together side by side and doing a whole lot of things and, you know, holding up the bloodstained banner, if you will. And now here we are uh, yeah. doing doing two things that are that are different. Um, can you talk to Jennifer and, and, and me uh, about how um, this pandemic really impacted your life? yeah
2: I mean I don't know that uh I don't know that my story is is unlike a lot of people across the country in terms of of how things uh, were impacted. I always say that you know I was more fortunate and blessed than a lot of people you know I had a job that you know enabled me to largely work from home um, journalists we can still kind of do our jobs as long as we got a laptop and a you know, re- recording device and pad and pen. You know, we can we can do what we do. And so I was blessed enough to have a job that uh, that enabled me to be able to do that. Um, uh, you know, didn't have to miss any paychecks. Uh, I mean, we had some, you know, a couple of furloughs and uh, over the summer over last summer, but you know that lasted a couple of months and and was able to, you know. Uh, Take advantage of of unemployment benefits, uh, and and went through a lot of the you know the delays and waits that a lot of people who had to utilize that system went through, but um but it was still tough you know uh, I hadn't seen my mother you know a whole bunch over the past year my mother turned eighty years old last year uh, mm. we weren't able to celebrate that birthday milestone in the way that we you know would have with a huge big party and. A whole bunch of family and friends there. Instead, we had to get creative. You know, we had a a drive by uh, birthday party. People, all of my mom's friends and family, got in cars and we sort of did a parade past her house as she sat in a lawn chair um, outside. You know, masked up. You know, not Great. ideally the way you want to spend your mother's 80th birthday, but that's what we were, you know, forced to do. Um, Haven't set foot in her house. You know, largely because we've been trying to protect her. Um, you know, I could be selfish and, you know, say, Hey, I just want to see my mom and I'm going to go over there. But it was really about her protecting her health. You know, I don't know if I could have lived with myself if, if I had been the reason that my mother got sick and God forbid something happened to her. So, you know, I've been largely staying away physically. I talk to her every day on the phone, but that's, that's not the same as, seeing somebody that you love and cherish most in your life, um having that physical contact. So so that was hard. That took an emotional toll. Um, I pastor a congregation um in Bell Fountain, Ohio. Um, we had to stop in-person services. We haven't worshiped together in, in over a year. Um, forced to be creative in, in how we do that. We do phone ministry now. I, I preach a lot of sermons. Through a conference call, do a lot of Bible studies through conference calls. We do um, Facebook Live, you know, sermons, and, and and use platforms like Zoom and StreamYard to to do some of the things. So from a church perspective, we were forced to think creatively and 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 move outside the box. And then, uh, lastly, you know, uh, back in 2019, I started a uh, a semi professional basketball team in Cincinnati called the Ohio Kings. Me and two other business partners. And we had a very successful launch of our first season in 2019, Um, made it to the playoffs. We're set to host a home playoff game in Cincinnati. And that's when the coronavirus hit the the league we play in, the ABA, American Basketball Association. They canceled the season much like the NBA and a lot of other professional organizations. So we lost out on um, revenue and all of the opportunity and momentum that we had been building with that. And then of course this season, the 2020 season, we opted out, opted not to play this year um, in this season, largely because um, a lot of our revenue is generated on corporate sponsorships and, and having people in the stands. And with businesses being ravaged by the pandemic, um, corporate sponsorships are you know not something a lot of businesses are doing right now. And not being able to have fans in the seats because of um, restrictions or people's concerns or fears and being in large groups just wasn't going to be feasible for us to do that. So um, a lot of different ways that I was impacted. But even in spite of all of that, Byron, you know, being a man of faith and a man of God, I I still um, have hope. I have faith. I consider myself extremely blessed because it could have been worse. I mean, there are people out there who are dealing with. Uh, the loss of family members, uh, the loss of employment, maybe even lost their home, were evicted from an apartment or something because they, you know, couldn't afford it. Um, a lot of people dealing with a lot of tough times, and so I'm always cognizant of, even though things didn't always go the way I wanted them to, that there are there are people out there who are a lot worse off uh, than I am. So I try to try to keep the complaints to a minimum. And I'm just thankful for uh, for what I have been able to, to do over the last year.
1: Kevin, one thing that um, Byron and I really wrote about, and I know you're aware of this, and some of the listeners probably are too, was hopes dashed and then hope for the future. Mm-hmm. And one thing I want to ask you about is, as you think about the future, and what not just what you've been through in the last year, but what you've observed with for others as you sit in a unique seat where you hear about the average citizen the average man and woman and family where do you see things happening and specifically you know you mentioned your sports team i'm glad you did i wanted you to talk about that but in terms of your congregation and sports and just things that people rely on uh where do you see things heading
2: yeah i see us heading um you know, in a positive direction. I think with the vaccines being out now, I think there is a, a hope and an optimism that's that's permeating across the country that, that people are sort of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, we do have to remain, um, you know, vigilant as there are uh, variants to the virus that are still out there. But I think that, um, you know, we're moving in a right direction. And I think that, um, you know, the American you know, public is resilient. I mean, we've been through a lot as a country over the last year, over the last four or five years, really. But um, I think our spirit of resiliency and, and and not being willing to give up and, and wanting to fight for those things that we value and that we, that we love is I think stronger than ever. The one thing that I wish that um, could have been maintained is I think at the start of the pandemic. It was really sort of a wake up call for everybody. You know, everybody was being very introspective. You know, it was like people were sort of like, yeah, I got to get my priorities in order. And this is what's really important in my life. And um, there wasn't really a whole lot of contention and bickering. People were really kind of looking at it and saying, hey, we're all in the same boat. We're all sort of dealing with this and, and we need to come together. And there was this real sense of just sort of like, Empathy and um, and and camaraderie and brotherhood and 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 initially people were all really kind of pulling together in the same direction initially, but over time, you know, the thing happened that always tends to happen to us is that we lose that feeling and then we start to retreat into our tribes and the politics and things, you know, sort of enter into it and and we once again start to. to to pick at one another um, over the things that don't really matter. And so so my hope is, is that uh, somehow or another that we can manage to recapture that spirit of oneness that we sort of had at the beginning and not allow ourselves to be so easily distracted by these little things that don't mean a whole lot. You know, and we need more from our leadership, you know, uh, uh, across the board, to help us recognize the things that make us one versus the things that make us that make us separate. So um, we got a lot of work. I'm not as optimistic. I'm not as optimistic. I'll just say, to be truthful about that, that um, that enough people in leadership you know, can adopt that philosophy to kind of help us move forward as a country. Not to say that there aren't some people out there. I think President Biden is trying his best, um, you know, to to create that, uh, that tone in America. But it takes all of us to want to buy into that. You know, I always say, and, and this goes from, you know, my ministerial philosophy to my political philosophy to whatever, is it all starts with each of us as individually looking at ourselves and challenging ourselves to be the best version of who we are. And I think the hopeful aspects of who we are help us tap into into those better parts. You know, the fear, the negativity, the cynicism, those are the things that contribute to the divisions that we have. Um, And I always say, I wrote a column about this when Barack Obama left office. And some people, a lot of people, you know, gave me uh, gave me a lot of crap about it. But I said, you know, Obama's greatest legacy might be the hope that he created, you know, for our country, you know, the, just put the policy, you know, people, hit. oh, well, if he doesn't have policies. To, yeah, but, you know, it's like Maya Angelou always said, you know, what people will remember most about you is how you made them feel. And I think that One of the things that we're going to remember about each of the last two presidents that we've had, not talking about Joe Biden, but in in Donald Trump and Barack Obama, is how each of those individuals made us feel. And I think that um, Obama's legacy was one of hope, of promise, of what America could be if we could just tap into that that optimism and hope inside of ourselves. There's nothing that we couldn't do, uh, as opposed to Division, fear mongering, that sort of things, which all appeals to our worst angels. And so, um, my hope is is that we can we can tap into hope as uh, as individuals and as a country.
0: Kevin, I I want to interject a, a little bit here because you touched on some really great points. I actually thought you were going to talk about the column you wrote. It's it's us. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's you know I, I think it said it's not Trump, it's us. Yeah. Uh, it was really that 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 column struck me because it 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 helped us to become more introspective, and it also talks. So so to me, I want to I want to pivot a little bit and talk about the power of journalism, opinion journalism specifically. Um, the former president labeled um, journalism the fourth estate um, as the enemy of the people. Um, we are exactly not the enemy of the people, but you know we we could take some of that criticism as well. Um, how then has, um, you know, ha, journal, journalism has taken a bunch of, of hits here recently, and it's done a little bit of introspection because what we found uh, during the, the most recent coverage of the events in America is that um, journalism seems to be lacking in its diversity um and it seems that um we're having to do a little bit of house clean, cleaning now and i'm wondering what is your perspective on um you know where journalism is in this country you know how do we um you know sort of even talk about or or, or think about how we have it not been the greatest um most objective uh, organization or industry when it comes to covering um, diverse issues.
2: Yeah, you you touch on a great thing, Byron, and I think um, what I think what Trump seized on was uh, he saw the weaknesses that existed in media. And um, he pointed some of those things out. Now, I agree with you. You know, journalism is journalists are not the enemy of the people. In fact, we're the exact opposite. You know, our our first loyalty is to the citizens of this great country. That's who we work for every day. That's why we pursue the truth. That's why we ask the tough questions of of all politicians. Is because we uh, represent the average American. We're Asking the questions of the average American and holding those who are in power accountable for doing what they're supposed to and what they say that they're they're going to do, and um, and every journalist that I've ever worked with, you know, has held those principles, you know, in their heart and have tried their best to go out and execute that every day. Now, do we get it right every day? Of course not. Do we make mistakes? Absolutely, do. absolutely, we do make mistakes, and we don't always get it right, but you know we have to remember that journalism is actually the first draft of history so we're covering things as they happen and we also do things in an imperfect medium you know there's only so much time you have to tell a story on a tv news broadcast there's only so much space that you have to tell a a, a news story in a newspaper so by the by virtue of the platforms themselves they're limited in um the amount of news um uh, the angles at which we can report news, so forth and so on. And so we are just one aspect of how the average person should gain the information that they need to make informed good life decisions. I always say you should read the Enquirer, you should read, you know, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, whatever you have the capacity to to look at. Watch Fox News, watch MSNBC, watch CNN. And you know, formulate your opinion from all of it, but don't just rely on one single source of news. You know, to to formulate your opinion, because each of us offers something different. Podcasts like this, you know, that uh, that offer different perspectives and, and different points of view. But I definitely think this is. I, I kind of think back on history to the period of yellow journalism, where there no where, where there were no standards or ethics, sort of, so to speak. Um, in in journalistic practices. And it was through the public outcry of that period saying, you know, newspapers have to be more accountable. News organizations have to be more accountable. There needs to be more truth telling and standards in terms of how you're presenting the news and going about doing things. And because of that public outcry, uh, media organizations began to develop standards, ethics, and ways in which they would go about reporting the news, and this was led by Adolf Ochs, uh, you know, the uh, the well-known uh, publisher of the of the New York Times. They began to set new standards for how journalism was done in this country, and I think we're at a similar similar point um, today. You know, Donald Trump, for right or wrong, you know, cast a spotlight on uh, some of the blemishes in the media, um, and and folks are are holding us accountable for transparency, to explain, do a better job of explaining um, what we're doing, being more cognizant of where, you know, bias might exist um, in the media and providing a diversity of voices. And And when I say that, I don't just necessarily mean, um, you know, racial diversity or gender diversity, but even political diversity, um, you know, in making sure that uh, that our staffs are are reflective of a cross-section of political uh uh beliefs and 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 even though that's not something that we really talk about in newsrooms like I couldn't tell you the political affiliation of most of the people that I work with at the inquirer but it can become apparent through some of the coverage and the ways that stories are framed whether you've got people in the room who are challenging and and asking questions and and uh I have tried to construct our editorial board at the inquirer along that line we have you know, people who would be considered liberal as well as conservative members of the board. And I can tell you, it's changed the way that we uh, approach a lot of the editorial writings. And I'm thankful that we have those, those different voices that are a part of it, because it challenges us to think about issues uh, and problems in ways that we might not otherwise. And so I think news organizations, diversity is your friend, you know, if you are uh, a part of a news organization, because it helps you better reflect and cover cover your community.
1: Kevin, one thing I want to ask you about and what you say is very poignant. Diversity is our friend. And that's something that Byron and I espouse throughout our writing, our friendship, our book. I'm going to ask you something. And I, I have huge respect for you as a pastor. I was raised as a Jewish woman from the North and I wouldn't consider myself religious. I consider myself culturally connected and I've been, but I've been fascinated by religion my entire life. I, I want to understand, and I think you, you're you the guy to give us the answer, what you think the role of religion is in hope.
2: Oh, I, I mean, I absolutely, I mean, I think, faith is hope. I mean, I think, you know, religion at its core, that's, that's a, a major tenet of any sort of faith and religion. You know, as a Christian myself, you know, we live in hope of, you know, getting to uh, the other side of this life, which is to, to be with, you know, God in heaven. You know, that's the ultimate hope that we have. I mean, um, Other than that, you know, it's when you die, that's it. You know, some people do believe that. But I think those of us who ascribe to a religious faith is the belief that there is something greater and better beyond this life. And I think it's the same um, thing that drives us in this country is to believe that there's something greater and better than what we are. It's not that there is a... um, displeasure with the United States or America is such a, a terrible place to live. It's like, no, America is, pro- is is undoubtedly probably the best place in the world in which to live because of the freedoms and everything that we enjoy. Yet we still can be better because we have not lived up ideally to the ideas that we espouse in our, um, uh, you know, in our, in our constitution and our Declaration of Independence and, and all of these great historical documents that that our founders put together to say what this country looks like. We're still trying to achieve that. And I think what all drives us is the hope that we can get there. Um, just like in religion, we, we live every day trying to be better, knowing that achieving uh, perfection and righteousness is probably not anything because of our, you know, nature, sinful natures, if you want to get into the, the religious side of it, because of our imperfections. We may never reach that level of perfection, but we never stop working to try to get there uh, because it ultimately is going to allow us to get to that to that ultimate destination of a better place beyond this life. And so uh, hope is essential. And, um, you know, uh, my faith has been a key driver in helping me make it through this past year. I, You know, I often wonder how does anybody without some. Sort of faith or hope in something greater than themselves, you know, make it through a difficult time like this because it's hope that pulls you back from the cliff, from the precipice. When you feel like jumping off, you don't because you, there's something in your soul inside of you that says, if I just hold on a little while longer, if I just don't give up the fight, if I can just keep on grinding, um, better days are ahead. And, and I think that's what gets you to step step back away from the cliff. So so hope is critical. Hope is uh, hope is the essence of what our faith
0: is. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kevin. I, I, so we, we're, we're not going to be super duper heavy all the time on this show at all. Uh, we do like to have a little bit of fun. All right. On, on this podcast. So so this is this is sort of the fun part. And then I'm going to get to a, 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 a sort of wrap things up. But Kevin, you love basketball. I know you are an outstanding point guard. I know you went to Wittenberg University. I'm gonna shout out your, what are they? The um Rooster? Tiger Up. Tiger oh, Up. Okay, Tiger up, Yeah, yeah. That's Wittenberg Tigers. I'm shouting you out there. So, so so Kevin, your your basketball name is Doctor, and then the last, the last thing that you have for lunch, that's your basketball name. What is that? Dr. Oh, the
2: last thing I had for lunch it would be Doctor Big Boy. You know, Dr. I just had a Big Boy. Chris's Big Boy, yeah. Okay. good, good, Boy.
0: good, good. We threw it, we threw a, we threw a little local uh, uh, culinary uh, uh, thing in there. Frisch's there you go. All right. I actually, so, I
2: actually did have a nickname in college. They, they did they, you really smooth? Smooth was my, oh, my yeah. nickname on ba- in basketball back in Wittenberg. So, Doctor Smooth. Not doctor, just smooth. I think it Mm. had more to do with the way that I dressed in my actual basketball game. You know, you can ask the guys in the locker
0: room about that. All right. All right. Kevin, I want to
1: commend you quickly on, I do see um, some of your ministry on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And I saw a lot of the Kings and I'm really, I'm really, this is going to sound very mother-like, but I'm a little older than you guys. I'm really proud of both of those both of those things because they're both forums that bring people together, which is exactly what Byron and I are trying to do absolutely
0: absolutely we're, we're we're trying to do this with hope interrupted and i I will tell you it has been such a such a great experience working these last you know really seven months with with Jennifer when we started out uh, writing this book. We wanted to just make sure we brought people together and what better way to bring people together um than through letters like that's that was that was our genre that's how we, that was our method how we chose to bring people together so i'm just really thankful that that we for our friendship and, and what we're able to do you know we um we always want to to close um our podcast with uh with with stories of hope and and i want to uh, just kind of relay something that I heard on Nora O'Donnell on uh, CBS News the other day, and it was it just really is a very powerful commentary on on what can happen. Kevin, you talked about you know being being bold and you know not not giving up. Well, in 1961, uh, a group of nine students in Rock Hill, South Carolina wanted to uh, integrate the the lunch counter at the old McCreary's, uh Five and Dime. Mm-hmm. And here, you know, almost, um, gosh, 50 years later, more than that, uh, a young man named Rob Massone decided to open up this shop. And what he found, though, the history that it was the lunch counter were uh, the Black Boys were spit spat upon, and they, you know, David Williamson, one of the people who um, was one of the protesters, came back and they interviewed him, and he talked about, you know, before they could could sit down, they were getting them up and rustling him up and saying, you know, we don't serve so and so here. So, so what what uh, what Rob did? He found out about this story and he kept the counter the way it was, pink. They talked about the 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 pink uh laminate, and they talked about you know the stained coffee on the on on the counter and they He actually had Mr. Williamson back to talk about that experience and the video showed togetherness, black and white people of all races and creeds and colors here all these years later and and the thing that struck me so much was was Mr. Williamson said you know um this this really happened. this is real uh and mr Mason, uh he 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 renamed the restaurant. it's no longer the Macquarie's five and down, it's just called counter
2: Wow, that's a great story.
0: love that story so that's
2: a that's an awesome story, man, and it really puts into perspective when you really just think about that. Um, and this is what I always say: like, you know, America is a work in progress. It's it's uh, it's great, not as great as we would want it to be, but sometimes we we don't look back enough to see how far we've come, you know, in a, in sort of a relatively short time. And and when you think about it, to think about that, you know, this young man who now has been able to purchase this, I mean. At a time where he wasn't even allowed where he wouldn't have even been allowed inside there to sit at the lunch counter, he now owns it. I mean, just think right. about that. Think about that right. for a minute. And where else in the world does something like that take place or is even possible outside of the United States of America? And so I think, and and it's one of the reasons why I'm glad you guys are doing this because. You know so often, you know, even those of us in the media, so much of it is focused on the negative and what divides us and what um we don't have in common. But I think the reality is is one of the ways we get past where we are is learning how to lift up more um the 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 areas where beautiful people are doing great things and are progressing and coming together. And putting aside past differences and, and lifting that up and highlighting it because you can't help but smile at a story like that. You can't help but feel hopeful after hearing a story like that, that if that if the descendant of slaves and, and, and uh, the, 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 the grandson or great grandson of, of someone who lived in an era of Jim Crow can now own their own place and own a piece of, you know, that that negative past that says a lot about what we're capable of as a nation and what we're capable of as individuals. And so um, I think you guys exemplify that in the letters that you share and and that you guys are going back back and forth with. And I just hope that, you know, more of us can learn to do that, you know, and, and find those great stories of hope. There's enough to be uh, down about these days. We don't need, look, there's no shortages of things that, you know, will make you want to you know, throw your hands up, but the truth uh, we have to be intentional, more intentional about, you know, those sorts of stories. I thank you guys yeah. for what you're doing. Thank I'm you. going
1: to close with two thoughts, guys. One to anyone listening out there. If you want to learn more about our book, it's www.hopeinterrupted.com. And I will close with something. I closed a lot of my letters with, which is something the Reverend Jesse Jackson started saying a long time ago, which I believe, which is keep hope alive.
0: That's so appropriate. Thanks so much. We'll see you guys on the radio (laughs) or the podcast.